Welcome to the Devoted City Church podcast. Our mission is to help people find, trust, and follow Jesus. To learn more about our church, visit devotedcity.com. In today's episode, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Donnie Williams, or a member of our teaching team. Good morning, everybody. All right, dads, I want to do something for you. I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable. I am. I'm going to ask dads to just stand up. Just stand up for us, dads. Let's see the dads. Come on. Yeah. All right. All right. You guys can sit down. I just want to say that uh, we pray for you. We prayed for you this morning. Uh, dads, uh, you can lead your family through this crazy world. You can do it. You have it in you. Uh, keep yourself in the word of God. Keep growing. Keep staying connected to community. And you can lead, especially those of you that have little ones, you can lead those little ones to be strong in the world around them. So dads, I just want to start out today praying for you. God, I lift up every dad in this room. Father, I pray that they can face our culture and face our world with the strength of their faith in you. God, help them to feel empowered by you, recognized by you, seen by you. God, we need these dads to lead their families, and to lead their families closer and closer to Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I uh, got invited to go on this trip, uh, and they said, hey, Donnie, if you'll come and speak to us, uh, it's a group of 12 pastors, we're in this discipleship group together, uh, we would like for you to speak for us uh, these little devotional talks, and we're going to hike while we're doing that. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So what I didn't realize, it was a hike from the rim of the Grand Canyon to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, spend the night, and then hike back out. Uh, that was difficult. Uh, that was a lot of hiking in one day. Anybody ever done that hike? It's, uh, it's, I felt a lot better about myself, actually, when I compared myself to those other pastors on the trip. Uh, it, it wasn't a competition, but I came in second. Um, <laughs> with guys even younger than me. So, but what I remember about that trip was this guy, Jimmy. Jimmy was a seasoned guide. He went there the summer between, Jimmy was about 50 years old and he went there the summer between uh, high school and college, but he never left. And he's still there doing tours. He couldn't remember the, how many times he's gone from the rim of the Grand Canyon to the bottom and back. He does it in flip-flops, and he can do it all in one day in flip-flops. And there's actually signs at the top that say, don't attempt to do it in one day because people have died. And if, you know, I guess it's a lot of money if they have to fly you out of there. <laughs> but Jimmy was our field guide, and he had bits of information, told us stories, encouraged us, and kept telling us, you can do it, you can do it, just pace yourself. That's what the book of James is like. It's like our field guide to faith. And we're starting this new series today. It's gonna to go through the whole summer. We're gonna wrap it up on August the 20th. But we're gonna learn how faith works. It's easy to say you have faith. Oh yeah, I have faith. I go to church, I'm in a Bible study. But what about actually living that out? What does it look like when you have temptation in front of you? What does it look like when you have difficulties in front of you, when you have a bad attitude, when 
Uh, you got to decide, am I going to treat this person the right way or not? When you plan poorly, or what, how does your faith work when life doesn't go the way you wanted it to? See, all those things are dealt with in the book of James, and, and he's going to be our field guide for the summer as we look at how our faith works in real life. So a few facts about the book of James. It's in the latter part of the New Testament. Uh, James was the little brother of Jesus. So they're half-brothers. Uh, he's mentioned in other New Testament books. There's several people named James. He's mentioned a few times. Uh, he was likely a leader in the first century church in Jerusalem. So when you read through the book of Acts, the book of Acts tells the story of the beginning of the church. And then while they were traveling while the apostle Paul was traveling, while James was helping lead the church in Jerusalem, that's when they wrote the other letters to the churches that we read. And so James uh, re writes this uh, story or this book to the first century church after persecution broke out. In Acts chapter eight, uh, a guy named Stephen was the first martyr for his faith. And after Stephen was martyred, he was stoned to death. It says this in Acts 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So they were scattered. Persecution started. Uh, and James writes to these churches in the first century to say, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard to live in our culture, and it's very tempting. James is telling them to be quiet about your faith, but I want to tell you how your faith can be out, can be uh, something that you can live day to day, and it's not just this quiet thing that you keep to yourself. This book would, can do us a lot of good in our culture. James 2 verse 18 is kind of our pivotal verse. It's the key verse for this series. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. So what he's saying is in this entire five chapter book, the faith that you have is more than just something you say you possess on the inside. It's something you actually do on the outside. And there's a big misunderstanding about faith and that is that faith is something, you just keep it to yourself. You don't tell anybody about it. Faith should never be just to yourself. And for many people, it's just a quiet, private thing that they don't really talk about. So we're going to learn over the next 10 weeks how faith goes way beyond words. Faith is not just something you believe, it's something that you do. And so James writes these words about 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and also about 15 years after the church began, they were starting to get run out of town. They were getting arrested. They were being beaten for their faith. And some people were even killed for their faith. And it's in that context where they had to be very careful what they said, when they said it, because if they, if they did not walk with wisdom they would be arrested. They were at constant risk of someone knocking on the door and saying, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, then you're going to jail. 
And it's in that context, James says these words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, has anybody in this room faced trials? Anybody? Everybody, right? All of us have. Maybe little Addie that did the introduction. Maybe she's not faced a trial yet, but she will. It's coming because she's getting ready to have a little sibling. So you know it's coming. So James doesn't say, hey, those of you that have followed Jesus, if you have some trials, here's how you should react. He doesn't say if, he says when, when you face trials, here's how I want you to react. He says, consider it a great joy. This is like a command. It's a verb because it's not about a feeling. He's not talking about, I want you to feel joyful. He's talking about, I want you to operate out of joy. Now it doesn't seem, it's counterintuitive to think joy and trials, they don't go together. Like if you went into work tomorrow morning and your boss said, you don't have a job anymore. And you knew without your job, you can't make your house payment. You can't make your car payment. You, you can't save for college and retirement. And you knew all that. And you loved your job. You lost your job. You're not going to call your spouse on the way home and say, honey, bake a cake. Like, we're not going to have any money and we want to celebrate. Like, that just doesn't go together. But James is talking about a joy that's deeper than anything that you feel. The, the word for consider, it comes from a, a Greek word that's pronounced hageomai, but here's what it means. It means to lead or to allow. So what he's saying is, let joy lead you. In other places, that same word is translated ruler or leader. So what's going to lead me through hard times? James would say, let it be joy. And if we're gonna honor God, with all of our life, here's what it's gonna require sometimes. It's gonna require, actually more often than not, it's gonna require us to go against that which feels natural. Because when things bad happen, the natural feeling is what? Bad, I feel bad. I'm down, I'm depressed, something bad's happening in my life. Well, James is saying, I, I don't want you to let that lead you. I want you to let joy lead you and go against that which is natural. If something dangerous happened, like just think the, the opposite of safety. If a, if a bear came in that door, huge grizzly bear, we would go out that door, right? I would. I would wait for all of you to go out, but then I would go out that door, maybe. I did finish second in a Grand Canyon track, by the way. But the natural feeling is when, when there's danger, what do you do? You run, you get away from it. When there's danger, you run. When something feels bad, you get away from it. It's, it's always amazing to me when people that are police officers, law enforcement, like they're trained to go towards danger, not away from it. So I don't know how long it takes to train somebody to do that when they see danger and know, oh, there's somebody uh, hurting people over there. So I'm going to go over there. The rest of us would say, well, I'm going the opposite direction of where the danger is. 
So James is guiding us to go against that which feels natural. See, when trials come on us, the natural feeling is hurt and frustration or when we're tempted. And what he's saying is don't do what feels natural. There's probably times that the natural thing you feel when you're maybe in conflict with somebody else or angry with them, the natural feeling is I'm going to punch them in the face. Like everybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but you might've had that feeling before. Well, James is saying, when you feel that, you need to go the other direction. So when we face the trials that we're all going to face, and, and this word for trial, it's, it's also translated difficulty, trouble, or temptation. We have two options. We can either go towards God or we can go away from God. We always have those two choices. So what James is saying is, don't do what feels natural. The world says, do what feels natural. God's word says, don't do what feels natural. Try posting that today. Hey, everybody, just want you to know, don't do what feels natural. See, following Christ means that all of us at some point and maybe at many points in our lives, we have to go against that which we feel like is natural. And when we do that, when trials in our life, when temptations in our life, when difficulties in our life, and we go against that which is natural, there's some benefits that come with it. And James tells us what they are. When you're in trials, here's what we have. We have to put the trials in a couple categories. There's cultural trials and there's personal trials. Now, would you say that our culture is in the middle of trials and troubles and difficulties? Yes. We are constantly, if we listen to the world around us, we are constantly driven towards two things. Division and resentment. Division over just picket. Division over the color of somebody's skin. Division over where they come from. Division over how much somebody might have or how little somebody might have. Uh, division rich versus poor. Uh, men versus women. Women versus men. Just divide, divide, divide. And when those trials are in front of us, we can either jump in with the world and all that divisive talk, or we can run towards God who unites everybody in the name of Christ. Like we got one or two choices. One of two choices. Trials can also be personal. See, the world makes trials worse. The word of God makes us stronger. You know, when I think about personal trials, the first thing I thought of when I was writing all this down is the number one question I get right now. And I've done this long enough that I know that there's a, there's a cycle in questions that people ask. Uh, sometimes it's, it's about whatever maybe big topic is out there or big thing that's going on in the world. But the most consistent I've gotten, I believe in all that 19 years our church has been in existence and people have been asking me questions is the one right now. And I'm just going to condense it into one because it's asking a lot of different ways. But it's parents asking how can we shield our kids from what's going on in the world? That's the number one question I get asked. And the answer, if you're one of those parents and you're like, yes, I'd like to know that. Here's the short answer. You can't. 
Because you can for a little while. When you can still hold him. When you can still determine, get in your room, don't come out. When you can do that, yeah, you can shield him from the world, but you can't do it forever. What you can do is teach your kids how to live in the world. Parents, remember this. You can't always protect your children from the world, but you can prepare them to live in it. See, we can prepare our kids to live in a world that, because whatever the problem is now, it's going to be another one later. So whatever the biggest things are now, those will pass. Something else will come up later. But if we can teach our kids and we can learn ourselves, how do I live in the world with the faith that I say I have in God? That's when we can start to have an impact. And then there's other personal trials. There's health trials. There's relational trials or vocational trials that you didn't expect, that you didn't ask for, that you're struggling through. And James is saying trials will come for all of us. And when trials come, a couple things happen. Trials reveal what's really important. If you got a, a text right now from someone very close to you and they said, I'm in trouble, it's bad, I need you right now. You would get up right now and leave. You should. Because all of a sudden, what the most important thing is, isn't lunch or uh, sitting here listening to me. Uh, the most important thing is whatever that person needs that you're close to, that you love, that you're around. I remember it was 10 years ago that my dad passed away and he was in the hospital in Durham for a while. And I went there every day. I cleared my schedule and I was there every day because we knew it, those were his last days. And I went and I stopped everything else and I sat there with my dad. One of the most meaningful times in my life because he got to say, because he wasn't there when I was a kid, but he was definitely there for me later in life. And he got to say the things he always wanted to say. I got to hear that. And nothing was more important than that. So if that happened to you and somebody you love needed you and it wasn't pleasant, but you knew they needed you, you it would reveal what's really important in your life. When people... Maybe you go to the doctor and they don't hear what they want to hear. All of a sudden, the next purchase, the next trip, the next thing is not quite as important. Trials reveal what's important. Trials also lead to strength. If you've ever trained for anything, you've ever trained for a marathon? I haven't. <laughs> probably I'll never, I probably never will. But I have trained for some things. I've trained for a 10 miler. I've done that. That's as far as I want to run. But the first day you train, how does it feel? Horrible. The second day you train, how does it feel? Still horrible. I don't know what day you start to feel like, I think I can do this. I'm not sure what it is, but somewhere along the way, when you're training, 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 you start to get the feeling somewhere along the way that I can do this and this is worth it. The same thing is true with trials. When we're first hit with them, it's devastating. And we think, is this ever going to end? But what happens as we walk through trials, there's a moment or moments or a season where we start to grow stronger. Now, some people choose to grow bitter, but some people choose to grow stronger and get their strength from God. See, there's two promises that James gives us that trials can produce. Perseverance and maturity. 
But a lot of people miss out on the perseverance and they miss out on the maturity, the completeness that we can have in life that James talks about because of the way they approach trials. Some people approach trials like this. They're the avoider. You know anybody like that? Problem? What problem? I don't have any problems. Everything's great. Great, great, great. Everything's great. Well, what about this? Oh, it's great. It's great. It's great. And they just avoid it and they refuse to think about it. Then there's the blamer. If you have more than one kid, one of them's going to be a blamer. One will blame the other. Anybody experience that? One's going to pick out the other one's fault and say, yeah, but look what they do. Some people don't even consider how can I get stronger through this trial? They just blame it on somebody else. In our, in our over-sensitized culture where people seem to whine about anything and everything, some people that, uh, people that do that are gonna miss the opportunity for growth and maturity because they refuse to look in the mirror and say, what can I do to make things different? Look, life is hard. Everybody goes through troubles. And when I own my own troubles and trials, I can get past them. Victimhood is no way to live. Victory through Christ is a way to live. And that's what James is telling us about. So you could be an avoider, a blamer. Uh, you could also be the rebel that says, all right, God does this, then I'm, I'm, I'm done with God. I'm gonna run as far away from him as I can. And some people respond to trials and difficulties by complete rebellion towards God and jumping into a life of sin and running as far away from God as they could get when he's actually the one that could deliver them. But there's some people, the kind of people James is talking about, when trials come into their life, they're a warrior. And they're determined, this will not defeat me. This will not hold me back. It will not keep me down. And remember, he's writing to a group of people in the first century that at any moment, they could be jailed, beaten, or killed because of their faith. So they can't be an avoider or a blamer or a rebel. The only thing left for them to be is a warrior. And that's what he's telling them to be. When you encounter trials, persevere. And you will be complete and mature and strong because of it. See, they needed to be warrior-like and keep pushing against the satanic forces no matter what the consequences were. And if you're a warrior, you know that you might lose the battle, but you'll go down fighting. You, you know that I may not win this, but I'm sure gonna go down fighting. Like if you had to protect your family if I had to protect my family physically from harm, I may not be the best fighter, but I will fight. And I'll go down fighting for them. And that's the attitude James wants us to have is, yes, it looks like the world's all stacked up against us, but go down fighting for what's right and fighting for truth. And when it comes to, our, comes to trouble in our lives, parents, the best thing you could do is raise little warriors Little warriors that will persevere and lift high the name of Christ in their life, no matter what the consequences are. Because it's warriors that will change the world. It's warriors that will help people shift in their beliefs and actions and attitudes. Anybody can pick out problems. It doesn't take a lot of intelligence to look around and say, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. 
What it takes is warrior-like mentality to bring solutions to the problems that surround us. And that's what James is talking about. Trials don't have to defeat you. With Christ, trials can actually strengthen you. In verse five of chapter one, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now this verse brings up one of the major themes of the book of James, and that's wisdom. Why do we need wisdom? Because we don't have it. Like if we had it, we wouldn't need it. But he tells us we need wisdom. And if you actually look in the context and the Greek language, the first century Greek language that James would have written in, the, the, the way it comes across in the original language, it doesn't so much when we read it in English, but the way it comes across is people in the first century would have looked at someone who was going through trials without joy as someone who also lacked wisdom. So they would have looked and said, well, they're not joyful, so they lack wisdom. So he's saying, if you've got trials and no joy, then you need to ask God for wisdom. Now, wisdom sometimes gets confused with knowledge. There's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing the truth. Wisdom is knowing what to do with it. We can learn something, but now we got to know what to do with it. So the book of James is a book of wisdom because he's saying, if you have faith, let me show you what you should be doing with your faith. See, knowledge tells you things like what to believe. Wisdom tells you how to behave. Knowledge finds a problem. Wisdom finds a solution. So we don't have a knowledge problem in our world today. In fact, we have quite the opposite. In 2020, Forbes magazine said that there's 1.7 megabits of new data produced every second for every human on the planet. And every 48 hours, there's more data produced. That's between right now and this time on Tuesday, there will be more data produced in the world that was produced from the beginning of time to the year 2000. That's a lot of knowledge. So the world doesn't have a knowledge problem. The world has a wisdom problem. In fact, as knowledge has increased, it seems like wisdom has decreased. I looked this up this week. Did you know that, uh, and I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands who has a lot of credit card debt, but individual debt is at an all-time high right now. One in five people have $20,000 or more on credit cards. You need to, if that's you, like in this room, they're going to, some of you have more than $20,000 on credit cards. That's not wisdom. Now the knowledge is I got all this credit available to me. The wisdom is how do you use it? The knowledge of where we are with, uh, with medicine, with even mental health is, is at an all time high. The knowledge of how we should take care of ourselves to live a long, healthy life is at an all time high. But that same knowledge does not equate to wisdom when people don't know the difference between a boy and a girl. 
or exposing kids to the most vile things you can imagine. Knowledge is there, but not wisdom. And there's never been a more important time to gather your family around you or a group of friends and to pray for wisdom to walk through a world that desperately needs to see it and have it. So whether it's cultural trials or personal trials, you need wisdom. And the key to doing it is not responding to the hardship, but to respond to the Lord over the hardship. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's through the power of his word. It's through the power of community. It's through the power of prayer. Every trial I've ever walked through has been made better and easier to endure through the community that I had around me. And that's the community of people of faith that know Jesus and want to follow Jesus. Now, if that's not your community, you'll never have the support you need. Not because they're bad people, because they're not going to go to the same places you go to for comfort and answers and direction and truth. Everybody who follows Christ needs to be in a Christ-centered community because when trials come, those are the people. When our second child was born, she almost died. Ended up being an emergency C-section. We went from the delivery room to the operating room. We had to go through this area where it was a waiting room. You could see through the glass. And as we're going through and send us on the table being pushed into the operating room, I look over in the corner and there's the people in my small group huddled up, praying that Abby would be safe. And Abby was safe. She was born perfect and healthy. But there was some very tense, scary moments and I'll never forget seeing my group of friends that shared my faith standing over there praying for my wife and my child. James doesn't write these verses to make us feel guilty for not reading his word or not praying or not being involved in community. He writes them to guide us. He gives us knowledge and he gives us the understanding that Without wisdom, knowledge is not going to get you anywhere. So have the wisdom to dig deeper into God's word. Have the wisdom to get in community. Have the wisdom to have a deep prayer life. The last, one of the last guiding verses from the first chapter of James is verse 12, where he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord promised to those who love him. See, no trial in our culture is greater than the promises that come from God. And then sometimes trials are brought onto ourselves. We bring our trials on ourselves. So he makes sure those people don't get away without dropping some wisdom on them. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And so he gives kind of a process. There's temptation, because we all have that sinful nature to do what feels natural, Then after temptation, it's like, my desire says I want this and I'll give in. And then there's sin. 
full-blown sin in our lives that we give into. And then there's a spiritual death, James says. And sometimes the trials in our life are brought on not because of culture, not because of personal trials that hit us, but because of bad decisions that we make without wisdom. And so those trials can be in all of our lives. And he's saying the way, the way to get past those trials and endure them is to consider it joy. And when you do that, it brings perseverance. It brings completeness. And it'll bring the wisdom of God into your life if you want it. If you don't want it, you can just keep living the other way. But he's saying, if you want this, this is what you can have. I pray that you join us over the next 10 weeks. If you just read a half a chapter of James a week, it'll take you like three minutes. Uh, yeah, every week, read a half a chapter and you'll get through 10 chapters between now and August the 20th. But don't just read it, internalize it. Let it turn, in, turn from knowledge to wisdom as you apply your faith to the life that you live. Let's pray. Father, we lift, uh, we lift you up. We praise you for... Uh, our ability to gain wisdom through trials. And God, I pray for people right now that are walking through difficult times in life, confusing times, whether they caused it or whether they had nothing to do with it. I pray that you would give them the confidence and the wisdom that you can grow them and strengthen them through any trial that comes their way. God, I pray for the dads again today that you would... Use them to raise up a generation of warriors. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Devoted City Church podcast. If you liked today's episode, rate us and subscribe so others can be encouraged too. We invite you to join us on a weekend at one of our locations or online at devotedcity.com.